We got some parents here this morning, right? Any of you as parents ever been getting ready for your kids to go somewhere? Maybe just to an event that they're going to or maybe to spend the night with somebody or maybe on a long trip. And right before they leave, well, what do you usually do? You kind of have a, a talk with them, right? You got to talk about, hey, watch out for this. Be sure don't do this. Make sure that you remember whose kids you are. Remember, do all the things that you should do. Don't do the things you shouldn't do. Blah, 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 which is what I think they hear more often than not. Just blah, 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 blah. But you you want to remind them the things that they already know. Well, this morning, as we get into Matthew 24 and Jesus's last discourse in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is going into one of those, and this is going to be a long speech, about things that his disciples need to know and remember. Now, they've asked him some questions, and we'll look at that when we review here in a second. And if you haven't been with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew um, paragraph by paragraph, kind of. Uh, and we are in chapter 24 this morning. We're a couple years and some months into this study. And if you look at the slide up here, <clears throat> the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew's efforts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to show the Jewish people that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, that He is their King. And we are in the last week of Jesus' life as we come into Matthew 24 here. We're about in the middle of the week. And the disciples have asked him a question. And as we read our public reading this morning, we're going to see the question. And we're going to see the beginnings of Jesus' answer to that question. So if you would please stand as we read the Bible. And we stand because we do believe these are the very words of God. And we stand out of honor and reverence and understanding how important these words are. So Matthew 24, we're going to read verses 3 through 14. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But... The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a perfect plan. We thank you that you have revealed this plan as much as we need to know so that we might follow you, so that we might know you. And as we look into this word this morning, God, we definitely wholeheartedly need your help to understand what Jesus said then, how it applies to us today, and what we should do as a result. Help us by the power of your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let me tell you what, having a beard and wearing a mask are two things that don't really go together. But we will persevere because we're 
Um, I don't know what we are. But anyway. Okay. Let me read verse 3 again. And we covered this last week. But of course I think it's very important as we go into the rest of this passage. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Again, this was our last verse in our passage from last week, um, so we won't spend much time here. Actually, I ended up spending more time than I thought I would as I was preparing. But I think it's pretty important to look again at the question or questions that are put forth by the disciples as Jesus begins His answering of them. So, Jesus had left the temple again the last week of His life. Wednesday, the last week of His life, He'd spent all, all week coming in and out of the temple Talking, preaching, teaching, running people out, and then having this um, kind of war words with the Pharisees. And then he leaves the temple. So as he had left the temple, and as they were walking away, the disciples, the beginning of Matthew 24 tells us, the disciples were pointing out to Jesus the buildings of the temple. And we saw a picture last week, and I almost put it back up this week, of just what that would have looked like. And it would have been awesome to behold. I mean, truly awesome. But Jesus had told them in response to their pointing out these buildings that, quote, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And he said that, and as he, as he said these things, it must have set their minds and their heads spinning as it would just be completely unfathomable to them of how that could happen, that it would happen. And surely they had questions. So they asked here in verse 3, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then we spent so much of last week kind of flying over a 30,000-foot view of some different views of end-time stuff, eschatology, and then how this passage in Matthew 24 ties into those views. And again, that was very brief, very basic flyover of those things. So as we look at the question again here in this verse, in verse 3, I think we have to try to get inside of their heads and figure out what they're really asking. Now remember last week we said it's so important to remember that Matthew is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. Okay? And so this Jewish mind, they've got one thing on their mind all the time. And it's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And so as these Jewish disciples here of Jesus ask these questions that their main concern is, what about the kingdom? You're saying that the temple is going to be thrown down. What's that got to do with the kingdom? And Jesus had taught and taught and taught and taught and taught about what? The kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of heaven. All through Matthew, spent chapter 13 telling all these parables of the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So the kingdom was on the forefront of their minds. So as we look at this question again here, with their hyper-focusedness on the kingdom... They ask some questions and, or a question. And I'm going to fast forward for just a minute. Let's fast forward past Jesus' crucifixion, past His resurrection, and He's about to ascend into heaven. And in Acts chapter six, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, the disciples say this. So when they had come together, He's about to ascend. Now remember this. He's about to go into heaven. They asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So this is after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after he showed himself alive over a period of 40 days to over 500 people. Their main concern, their main question, right before he goes into heaven, is will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And they've asked questions like this all throughout their time with him. And right before he goes to heaven, they're asking him again. They're thinking, it's now. This is going to happen now. All these events, all these crazy events over the last 40 plus days, right before he ascends, show that, hey, it's time. It's time. The kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming. Um, So as we come back to the text today, place this question here in Acts in line with our text today. After the resurrection, their focus is on what? On Jesus restoring the kingdom to Israel. That was their expectation the whole time. So, when Jesus said back in our passage from today that the temple would be thrown down, they had to have a lot of thoughts as to what that meant. If they were expecting Jesus to usher in the kingdom in the here and now, in Israel, for Israel... And he was saying that he was going to be crucified and that the temple was going to be destroyed. Well, obviously, some pieces in their puzzle didn't fit. So, how is all of this going to shake out? So, they say, tell us, when will these things be? Back in Matthew now, and, and these things being, you're saying the temple's going to be destroyed, not one stone will be left upon another. When will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? When will these things be with the temple be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and then of the end of the age? Now, I still am not sure, uh, even as I've studied and studied and studied, I'm still not sure if they are pairing His coming and the end of the age. If they're pairing those things even with the destruction of the temple. If they're asking one question with three identifiers, or if they're really asking maybe two questions or three questions, I'm still not sure, truthfully. Um, is it all combined in their minds? The destruction of the temple, Jesus is coming, the end of the age. Because it surely would be an apocalyptic kind of deal if the temple gets destroyed, right? So I think that they associate all this stuff together. That's my thoughts right now. And again, that could change next week. Okay, don't, don't hold me to that. But I think they're associating all of this stuff together. If the temple gets destroyed, that's catastrophic, that's apocalyptic, and God's doing something different. And so, I think, at this point, Jesus is giving them a panoramic view of history. What's about to happen in their lifetimes, in their generation, and how that will mirror itself later on. Because Jesus knows, Jesus said He didn't know when He would be returning, only the Father would know that. But Jesus knows there's more history than just after He first ascends, or after that destruction of the temple in AD 70. Jesus knows that. Okay, So he's given them a panoramic. He's given them right here, right now, and what's going to happen. And in A.D. 70, the Romans come in and they do destroy that temple. They wipe it out. They, they just obliterate basically the Jewish race, kill over a million Jews, destroy the temple, bring it to the ground. To this day, the only thing that remains of that temple mount is the western wall, the welling wall that... People in Israel go to and pray to today. So that happened, and Jesus knew that was going to happen in their lifetimes. Again, they're 30 some years removed from that before that happens here. And Jesus is going to show them what happens in your lifetime with the end of an age, so to speak, in this generation is also going to happen at the end times. So he's basically giving them a preview of right here, right now, and into the future. That's how I'm approaching this passage, just so you know. Okay? 
Um, because we talked last week about some different views and who's he talking to and what's he talking about. Is he just talking about future events? Is he just talking about present events? And I think he's talking about both. I think he's talking about present events, soon-to-be events, and way in the future events. And if you look at the prophecies in the Scripture, so many times they had an immediate fulfillment and then they had a future fulfillment. Okay, And I think that's, I think, and again, I, I hate to even say that because to stand here and to have a Bible or the passage in front of me and say, I think this is what this means, that's the best I can do right now. I wish I could say, thus saith the Lord authoritatively, but smarter people than me, people who've spent years and years and years and years in this passage alone, have different opinions about what it means. So I'm laying it out there that this is where I'm at as I've studied. I think it's right here, right now, and in the future that he's painting a picture for them with this passage here in Matthew 24. So... Is it all one question? Is it two questions? Is it three questions? I think it's all one question, and Jesus is answering it in an immediate and in a future way. Because um, I think Jesus, in in his answer, is going to tell them what's about to happen and how it will mirror the end times, kind of dividing those things, but also bringing them together. Okay, And so, in this panoramic view, and again, I'm not necessarily, I'm not, let me just say it this way, I'm not a full-fledged dispensationalist, and some of you probably are, and that's fine. You're not wrong or bad if you're a dispensationalist. I'm not, I don't think. But I know that the church becomes the focus of the kingdom of the heavens on earth starting at Pentecost. Something changes. Something switches, okay? And what I'm talking about here is there are thoughts saying that the church replaces Israel in God's plan. As, as, as a dispensationalist, they would say the Jewish age ended... And the church age began at Pentecost. When the Spirit came and the church was born on the day of Pentecost, that God started something new. And He obviously did start something new. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He had never done what He was doing when He started doing what He started doing at Pentecost. Okay? So was there the end of an age there? I think there was. Is it the end of the age that Jesus is talking about? I think it is, and I think there's another end of the age coming that reflects in all this. So I hope that's good and fumbled up in your head and it's all spaghetti and you're going, that don't make any sense to me. But, actually I hope that's not the case. That's how I feel. Okay, so the church becomes the focus of the kingdom of the heavens on earth starting at Pentecost. So that age before then, with God focusing His work on earth through the Jewish people there before Pentecost, that period ends. So there is an ending of an age, but maybe not in the way that the disciples are asking And we see it so many times in the Bible, through the Old Testament, and now in the Gospels, and then going forward into the rest of the New Testament, we are going to see cycles, cycles of history that seem to repeat themselves. Paul said to the Corinthians, the things that were written in past times were written for your benefit, because they're similar to the things that you're going to go through, is the way I see that. Okay? So we see these cycles happening all through history, close and distant fulfillment, history repeating itself. So it seems like Jesus is giving an explanation of what will soon take place, and then that that soon takes place predicts or shows what will take place later as well. Again, that's where I'm at with it right now. So he's going to tell them what's going to happen soon within their generation at the end of the Jewish age, and then how that will foreshadow and what will happen much later as well at the end of all the ages. So clear as mud, let's move on to verse 4. That's how I'm approaching it. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. So they asked their question, 
And Jesus begins his answer in a very particular and pointed way. And again, here's where we kind of think about the speech to the kids before they leave there. They are asking about times and signs. And what does Jesus say to them first? He says, see that no one leads you astray. They want some information. And Jesus says to be careful with the information that they're going to get. They want answers and Jesus wants them to be discerning. He sees the priority differently than they do. They think if we just had the answer to our questions, we'll be all right. And Jesus says, wait a minute, I've got something more important. I want you to see. I want you to see. And that word means to discern mentally, to observe, to perceive, to discover, to understand, to turn the thoughts or direct the mind to a thing, to consider, to contemplate, to look at, to weigh carefully and to examine. That's a lot in one word, right? Jesus is not interested in them just knowing the answer to the question. That's not as important to Him as what He wants them to do. He wants them to purposefully engage in examining what is happening, what is being said and done, particularly in regard to anything to do with their questions about the destruction of the temple, Jesus coming, and the end of the age. Now, this tells me one thing very specifically. It's going to be hard. It's going to be confusing. You're going to hear a lot of different things. So Jesus says, first and foremost, see that no one leads you astray. Jesus is coming. The end of the age. The destruction of the temple. Don't let it confuse you. Don't listen to the voices that are going to come with false information. And we'll get to that in a minute. See to it. Make sure that no one leads you astray. Why? Well, not just because it's a big deal, but because it's going to be important in determining how they respond to the information regarding these things. It seems like every time something happens, something catastrophic, something cataclysmic, people start talking about this is the end of the world. This is the end of the world. This is the end of the world. And they've been saying it since the disciples' time. Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. This is surely it. Can you imagine? I wasn't, I wasn't around. Some of you were. when. Well, maybe you weren't. When, when Israel was reinstated as a nation, you know, can you imagine the chatter then? Oh, this is it. This is it. This is it. And Jesus, if, if I would have you remember anything from what I'm saying today, Jesus wants you to see that no one leads you astray. Don't just run off with a little bit of information, a little bit of information, a little bit of information. This is it. This is it. I made up my mind. This is it. This is definitely it. This is going to happen. Stop. And remember the words of Jesus. See that no one leads you astray. There's going to be lots of information. And there's going to be true information. And there's going to be false information that is forthcoming. Not from Jesus. It's all true from Jesus. But after Jesus, there's going to be false and true information. So, see to it. See that no one, absolutely positively no one leads you astray. Off the path, going the wrong way. See your responsibility. See that that doesn't happen. Make sure, be discerning, and be discerning on purpose to ensure that you are not led astray. And it kind of ties back in with what Bob said this morning. We need to be praying and asking God in the power of the Spirit, help me to not be led astray. And we look where? To the Word to find out what we should know and what we should believe. And so begins his answer. Now verse 5. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. 
and they will lead many astray. Now, that seems important, right? In their seeing, the first thing he wants them to know is what? For, see that no one leads you astray, for, because, many will come in my name, Jesus says, saying, I am the Christ. Now, wow. Jesus is telling them that many will come. Let's not pass by that too quickly. Not one, not a few, but many will come after Jesus and they'll come in Jesus' name using His identity, His name as a covering, and they will say, I'm Christ. It's me. Now, the only person I've ever heard in my life say that he was Jesus Christ was Charles Manson. And it wasn't real hard to discern that he's not Jesus Christ. Okay? But Jesus is saying here that many will come And they will lead many people astray because they're coming saying, I'm coming in the name of God, in the name of Jesus. I am the Messiah. I am the Deliverer. I am your hope. Put your trust in me because I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to restore the kingdom. I'm going to usher in the kingdom. Jesus said many will come in His name saying they're the Christ. They'll come and say that Jesus sent them. They'll come and say they're the Messiah, the Christ, the deliverer of God's people. Many will claim to be the Messiah. And Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray, knowing that many will come and will be claiming to be the Messiah, even saying that God sent them. And, Jesus goes on to say, these people, they will lead many astray. See that no one leads you astray, for these guys will lead many astray. Now, if we go back to Matthew 16, we just lose power. Something happened. Okay. So if we go back to Matthew 16, 6, uh, I didn't put it in here. Peter's confession at that time was Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some say this. Some say that. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. I have to paraphrase that. But flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. Has revealed what? That Jesus is the Christ. And so Jesus here is calling them back to that confession and to remember whoever comes after me and says that he's the Christ, remember they're not. I am. I am the Christ. Go back to that. I I affirmed that confession and I am the Christ, remember that there can't be another Christ because I'm the Christ. And many will come, and they will lead many astray because Jesus didn't fit the description of the Messiah that so many people were looking for. So what do you think they would be looking for in a false Christ? A a military leader, a, a, a public leader, a governmental leader. And we talked about this some last week. We don't put our faith and our hope in these people or these institutions. They're not bad in and of themselves, but they're not where our hope is found. Our hope is found in the Christ, in the Ancient of Days that we sing about this morning. Jesus, the one before them right now, the one speaking this warning, He alone is the Christ. It is their intimate knowledge of Him that will keep them from being led astray. And it will be their teaching about Him that will keep others from being led astray, which is why we have the Scriptures. So whoever comes saying they are the Christ can be ruled out if they're not Jesus. 
Seems simple, but Jesus says these imposters will be pretty effective in their deceit. But know in advance that it isn't me. I have warned you. Now what else? Verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. So false Christs are now. So that's going to happen. And now you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. We're back, right? I don't know what happened there, but we're back. So not only will false Christ come, but there will be wars. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now this seems silly to us in 21st century, 24-hour news cycle America, right? Anybody here that hasn't lived in a time when there weren't wars and rumors of wars? Probably not. And now, again, we've got correspondence in almost every country in the world. And what do they tell us about? They tell us about wars and they tell us about rumors of wars. So we're just like, yeah, this is just daily life. But now imagine being a first century fisherman. How often did you hear about war? Not very often, right? You're, you're in Israel and there's been some insurrections here and there, but not really wars. And you're experiencing what, what history calls the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Okay, Romans had overtaken pretty much the known world at that time. And there was peace. So Jesus says, but there's going to come a time when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, it turns out the Jews themselves would challenge Rome in the 60s AD. And the Jews would fall to them in 70 AD, finally and totally. I mean, they lose their everything in 70 AD, the Jews do. So... Would have, had to, would have had to have been a very scary time for them in those late 60s at 70 AD. Might would have had them thinking that this was, well, the end of the world, right? Everything we've ever considered important, the end of the world has come. But Jesus says, see that you're not alarmed when these things are taking place. For this must take place, but be careful, the end is not yet. Don't let a war or a rumor of a war shake you to the fact that you think this is it. This is, it's all over. We have no hope. This is the end of all things. It's not. These things must take place. They must take place, but the end is not yet. When wars come, when you're hearing rumors of other wars, when it seems like the world or your world is coming apart at the seams, well, just remember, this must take place. Don't freak out. The end is not yet. This isn't that. Don't let that make you think it's all over. It isn't. What if somebody invaded America? Well, we would just think it was the end of the world, wouldn't we? Well, that's exactly what was going on here with these Jewish folks here in the first century. Outside of Pearl Harbor, praise God, we've never been invaded. And they're in the middle of this great peace and this, this king's building them a beautiful temple. And everything seems to be going all right. They don't like the Romans and they're looking for the Messiah. But they're right in the middle of peace. They're not in the middle of war. And Jesus says, when the wars and the rumors of the wars come, don't think that it's all over. Don't be alarmed. This must take place. Verse 7. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So these wars and these rumors of wars will increase and they will escalate to the point that nation will rise against nation. Again, not just little cultural skirmishes, 
But nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Not just local skirmishes to keep the peace or to make a statement, but large-scale stuff. National kingdom stuff. World war type stuff. And remember that these things must take place. And not just conflicts. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Not much more dreaded on, to a subsistence agricultural society than a famine. No food. The crops die. The water sources dry up. Life dries up. And note the plural nature of these famines. Multiple. Many famines. And not just famines, but also earthquakes. Anybody ever been in an earthquake before? I haven't. We've we've heard some things and we may have seen a little bit of rumbling here and there. And if we ever have one here in West Virginia, it's going to be bad, y'all. But, you know, and again, in Israel, the Old Testament mentions an earthquake, but they weren't familiar with earthquakes. And Jesus is saying there's going to be famines and there's going to be earthquakes in various places. Again, these painfully local Jewish guys would hear of earthquakes in various places, and I'd say they're just mystified. They would associate both the famines and the earthquakes with what? What would they think that those things are? What would they know that those things are? It's the judgment of God, right? A famine, he says over and over through the prophets, I've tried to reach you through famines, and you wouldn't listen. And Jesus is saying here there's going to be more of that. There's going to be more judgments of God through famines, through earthquakes. And these guys are going famine, judgment, earthquake, judgment. And God will judge the world at the end of time, right? Well, yes. But Jesus is saying that things are going to escalate. Things are going to get odd. Things are going to be happening all over. And it's all going to look like God's judgment. But verse 8, all these are but the beginning Of the birth pains. Now, I do not speak authoritatively about birth pains, nor do I want to. Uh, Some of you all can. I can't. Jesus says that all of these things happening, all of these false Christs, wars, rumors of wars, nations against nations, kingdom against kingdom, famines, earthquakes, well, that's just going to be the beginning. The beginning of what? Of the birth pains. Now, what's that about? Think allegorically here. Okay? It's pretty clear that Jesus is comparing this time that he's talking about of the temple being destroyed, his return, the end of the age. He's comparing that to a woman being in labor. Now, ladies, at what point do the birth pains start? That's when you go into labor. You're starting to go into labor. My poor wife basically went through labor with, our, with Hannah at home because she called and she said, hey, I'm having some pains. And the doctor kind of laughed at her and said, oh, honey, you're, you know, it's going to be a while. Okay? Which he was right and wrong because um, it didn't take as long as he thought it was going to take. But when the birth pains start, you start to measure how far apart are they, right? When the contractions start. And as it progresses, those things get closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until finally you are in labor and you deliver the child. So Jesus is making the analogy here of all these things happening like it's a woman in labor. And these things that he's mentioning to them, to the disciples here, are just the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, Those first pains can be quite a wave. From the birth of the baby, right? Anybody got a horrible labor story? They were in labor for like 48 hours or something crazy. Just don't even tell me. I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to think about what that looks like. Um, 
And it's pretty clear here that Jesus saying the temple's going to be destroyed, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, there's going to be earthquakes, famines. This is just getting things started. And when they first start, it's a call to get ready, to gird up your loins, so to speak, because things are starting to happen, but it's just a start. If the end result is the end of all things, as the disciples know it, then all these things are not that, they're just getting the ball rolling. And that ball's going to roll a while. And that's Jesus' point. Don't look at these things happen and think, oh, it's here. Look at these things and think, oh, well, this is just the start. And again, that was 2,000 years ago. And that's the point. Jesus is just saying that these things are significant, but only in view of things getting started, not being done. Now, what about when these things do start? What then? Verses 9 and 10. Then... They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So things have gotten started. The birth pains have started. Then Jesus says, they will deliver you up to tribulation, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now, aside from this being very disturbing to me, this is where things get pretty interesting interpretation-wise. Okay? The reason I say that is because of Jesus speaking to whom? Who's he speaking to here? He is speaking directly to the disciples who asked him the question. Right? He says that they will be delivered up to tribulation. And they will be put to death. And they will be hated by all nations for Jesus' name's sake. And we know that that did happen to them, right? These apostles who are sitting here listening to Jesus outside of Judas who killed himself right after... Jesus was taken away. These apostles died all over the world as they preached the gospel of Jesus to those who had never heard it before. And Jesus is warning them that this is going to happen for sure. And then verse 10 also says that many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Well, we know that the first century believers certainly saw their share of that happening as well. Family members selling out other family members for not worshiping Caesar. Romans would literally light their garden parties by burning Christians as human candles. And so many died in the gladiator games, fighting men and beasts. And Jesus is surely warning His 11 men here. He's, Judas is there, but He's not really before Him. He's surely warning His 11 men about this coming persecution and the falling away of many as a result of that persecution. And the reason I'm saying all that is these things happened in their lifetimes. Okay, And Jesus is answering their question about when the temple will be destroyed and when Jesus will return and when the age will end. And they would see these things and they would remember Jesus' words here. And they were thinking, I'd say, He's coming back. It's all about to end. This stuff's happening. But now, interpretation-wise, did it end then? Well, we're, we're here, right? 2,000 years later, we're here. But the temple did get destroyed and the Jews did lose their identity, so to speak. So there, there were some immediate fulfillments and I can't help but believe that Jesus is talking to all of His people here in all time periods, telling them to keep their courage and their faith in Him because these things would always be true. Look at verse 11 for further proof of that. And many false prophets will arise... And lead many astray. Was, was that happening in Jesus' day? Sure. Did it happen in the disciples' day after Jesus was gone? Sure it did. Is it happening today? Sure it is. 
Okay? And every century since then, and every century until Jesus comes back, whenever that may be. As long as there has been and will be truth, many false prophets will arise and they will lead many astray. And it's important to know that. It was important for them then and it's important for us now. And it's important to know that in light of looking for the end of all things, that this is going to be happening. As believers are being persecuted, which again has happened since Jesus spoke these words and always will, as false prophets are leading many astray, remember, church, remember individual believer, He said this would happen. And it's a call to courage and to love. Verse 12, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Another sign of the birth pains and their increasing is that lawlessness will be increased. Anybody watch the news recently? I mean, I'm just saying. Lawlessness being increased? Oh no, this is it! Be careful, alright? But we do see this with our own eyes, don't we? They saw it in their own, with their own eyes. But... Jesus was telling His men that as things continue to spiral in this progression, they aren't spiraling out of control. Hear that, Christian. Hear that, church. Oh, it'll look like it. But He warned them before it ever happened that it was going to happen. Lawlessness will be increased. Jesus knows that and He wants them to know it. And as a result of the increased lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. And it just makes sense, doesn't it? The connection between lawlessness and love growing cold is so understandable. Why? Because people lose hope. People see no end to evil and the bad things happening, so their love grows cold. And what does the New Testament call us to? The New Testament calls us to a fervent love for one another that's increasing and abounding. Paul would tell the Thessalonians, you're doing great in your love, but increase and abound still more. Don't let your love grow cold. Because that's what's happening out there in the world. As lawlessness increases, love grows cold, and we're called to a different standard than that. And Jesus is saying, it's going to happen. I'm telling you it's going to happen, so don't be surprised when it happens. And don't let it happen to you. And the increasing lawlessness should not change that for us. And that's what Jesus is telling His men here. It's going to happen. It's going to come to pass, but don't let... What's affecting the world affect you, church, in the same way. It's a call to perseverance, a call to endurance. Verse 13, but though the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this is really big for sure. For these first century disciples, it was big. And for us here today, it's big. And for all of Jesus' followers for all time, this is big. You see, no matter what happens, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, let's talk to 21st century America, right? No matter what it feels like, in the midst of trials and hardships and, and hardships and discouragements, we are, all of us, as believers, called to endure. And the surest sign of salvation is that we will endure. Falling away because of love growing cold or lawlessness, or persecution, or false prophecy, people that fall away, that's simply a sign that there was no salvation there. 
Many will fall away. Many will be deceived. Many will see the events around them and throw up their hands. That will happen. Always has, always will. But, Jesus says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is calling them and us to push through in the power of the Spirit of God through these multiple issues to find their hope in Him through it all and get through it all and know true salvation. Jesus is calling them to look past and through all of the noise and distraction and focus their eyes on the ultimate prize, which is their salvation. Their being saved. The Greek word for will be saved is sozo, S-O-Z-O. And it means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Because you see, the true destruction is the final destruction. When God will judge sinners in hell, where they will spend eternity being punished for their failure to obey the command to be saved. And it is a command. It's not an option. Choose it if you want to. Choose it if you feel like it. It's a command. Repent. Believe. Trust. Follow Jesus. That's a command. And that's the command that they will be judged for not obeying. To be saved from that final destruction is the true call here. To persevere through the trials and the struggles of the temporal world in order to know everlasting joy in the world to come is the call to Jesus' followers. And those followers will endure to the end and they will be saved. Not so much those who fall away. Not those who don't endure to the end. The Apostle John would say later in his letter, they went out from us because they were never of us. And what's the key to all of this persevering? Our last verse for today tells us, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The end-all, be-all of our passage today is, of course, the end-all, be-all of the Scripture, and that's the gospel. What matters most, what is most determinant of everything in all of God's creation throughout all of history, 1st century, 21st century, 168th century, the most important thing is the gospel. And man, I've been convicted as I was studying this and praying. I I talk about the gospel a lot. But is it the, the most important thing in my life? The most important driving element of my existence. Because Jesus is saying here, the end will come when the gospel of the kingdom has been proclaimed throughout the whole world. What matters most, what is the most determinant of everything else in the world throughout all of history is the gospel. As the world goes from bad to worse, and then to worst, as the earth literally trembles under all of the struggles in it, and... This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now this is not a threat or a faint possibility if things happen to fall in place properly or if Christians happen to be good enough and try hard enough to do the right thing enough. No. This gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed. Throughout the whole world. It will. 
It will. Now, again, it's important to remember that we're looking at this Olivet Discourse as immediate and future fulfillment. So we know that the apostles and their contemporaries did take the gospel to the ends of the known earth at the time. Paul speaks in Romans of being out of room to work. And so he wants to go to Spain where they've never heard the word before. So there in their lifetime, they followed that uh, uh, Acts 1-8 model, you'll proclaim and you'll, you'll teach and you'll be my martyr witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And in their lifetimes, they did that. They took the gospel to the ends of the known world at that time. They, they did that. So they did their job, and that fits in with this narrative. And then, after the close of that age, as things started in this new gospel age, in this new church age, well, the world got a little bigger, didn't it, to them? They're like, oh, there's more stuff out here. There's more islands, and there's more lands, and we'll reach them too. And the gospel would spread there as well. And will until the whole world hears the truth of the gospel. Listen to me. This is really good news. God will reach every single one of His elect people. Wherever in the world that they are. And the way that these elect will be saved will be through hearing and then believing. And then following, trusting, keeping the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says here, when this gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed throughout the whole world, then the end will come. It will. It did. And it will. The gospel will. And the end will. So that wraps us up in our passage today, which leads us to application. We go through the passage and see what it says, what it means. And then we wrap it up with, so how should I live in, re- in response to all of this? And we're going to look at three W's. Actually, it's tricky. We're going to look at five W's in three points. Okay? The first point is WWW. So there's three. The second W is worse. And the last W is word. WWW, worse, and word. Application. First point, WWW. Stands for what? World Wide Web. Have we ever, in the course of history, since God said, let there be light, have we ever had access to more information than we have now? I mean, anybody reached the end of the internet yet? These six sites that I visit on a regular basis probably is not really the end of the internet, right? But we have so much information at our fingertips. Application. Be careful what you do with that information. More information is more opportunity to be led astray. Now, more information is also more possibility to be led to the truth. Both are true. And what did Jesus say today? See to it that no one leads you astray. We don't know something. We just ask Google. Be careful. Newsflash. 
Not every news source is trustworthy. Newsflash! Wikipedia gets edited every second of the day. Newsflash, your biases affect how you process any information. Your experience, your locale, the way you feel at that moment. We have got to be so careful with all of this information that we have at our fingertips. Because we, of all people, with all this information, can so easily be led astray. Who do you trust? We'll get to that in the third point. Which is word, by the way. Watch this. Daniel 12.4 But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. This is the end, right? Because all this knowledge, well, I wouldn't call what we see on the internet so much knowledge, but, but we have access to so much information and increase in information. In my lifetime, there was no WWW when I was in junior high or high school or even beginning college. We went to the microfish. Anybody remember the microfish? That microfish was smart, dude. Let me tell you what, but you had to have the right one. You young folks, man, I tell you, you've both got a tremendous privilege and a tremendous responsibility. Like Uncle Ben told Peter Parker, you have more information at your fingertips than the previous 19, 20 generation centuries had combined. What are you going to do with it? Don't let yourself be misled or deceived by it. Watch this, Ephesians 4, 13-16. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, or I would say every bit of information, not to be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here's a good way to evaluate the information that you're accessing. Is it making the body grow? And are you using it to build yourself and the body self up in love? Be very, very, very careful with the information you have at your fingertips. Listen, being misled is a very true and real danger for followers of Jesus. So be careful with the information that you have. So that was the first point, WWW. Second point is worse. And we talked about this a little bit last week in tumult. Tumult. But here's the point. The world and we as a race of people, we are devolving. We are not evolving upward. We are devolving downward. The drift of the world and its system is toward untruth. The drift of the world and its system is toward lawlessness and disorder. And don't be shocked by this. 
Don't look and say, well, that's kind of, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting this to get better and better. No, 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 no. We're devolving. It's getting worse. And the Scripture's clear that that was going to happen. Paul says, 2 Timothy, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Wow, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? And exactly what Bob said standing up here this morning, we go back to the Bible, back to the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As the world devolves, as things get worse and worse and worse, it should drive us back to the Bible, to the truth that we know is true so that we can stand against things, people, persecutions as they come and not be shaken by them because things are going. Listen to me, church. 2020 is over, right? Things are going to get worse. But that's not a cry to hopelessness and oh no, how could they possibly get worse? We're devolving. It's going to get worse. Come back to the Scripture. Come back to the things of God, the people of God. Come back to God so that we may be complete, equipped for every good work. WWW worse. And finally, last application point is Word. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all of the earth. And then the end will come. Listen to me. The gospel is the goal in all of this. Whether in first century Israel or 21st century planet earth, it is all about the gospel. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them before he ascended into heaven, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And how many times have we used this verse in application? For I am not ashamed, Paul says in Romans 1, 16, 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. If we lose our gospel focus as individual believers and as a church, we are in grave danger of falling away. If our focus is not the gospel, if our goal is not the gospel, if our truth is not gospel-based... We will not stand. We will fall. If you're trying to help people get better and you're trying something besides the gospel, it's not going to work. You're failing them. Because the gospel tells us that we are all sinners. And we all need a Savior. And Jesus Christ came, God in the flesh, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to die a death on a cross, to pay the penalty for my sins as a sinner, so that if I place my faith in Him, if I tell Him I'm a sinner and I need salvation and I believe that He saved me through His dying on the cross, that He was dead, that He was buried, that He was resurrected, He came back to life. 
He did show himself alive to over 500 people over a period of 40 days and that he ascended into heaven where he sits and he reigns and he rules over all things. If I put my trust in him, I'm going to be saved. Not my efforts, not my trying harder to do better, not my gritting my teeth and trying to stand through all these trials and tribulations, but putting my hope in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And that's what we hold out to a lost and dying world. As we get more and more information, as things go from bad to worse and then to worse, we bring our attention and our affection back to the Word of God, which revolves around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are and that's what we're called to. Even as the world ends, our focus is on the gospel and on the God of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we trust that your way is perfect. We trust that your plans for us will succeed. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are, because of what you've done. So God, we welcome your plan and we ask you to help us walk in the fullness of that plan, in the fullness of the power of your spirit, that we would focus our lives on your word and your glory so that all the world would see and look on and give you the glory that belongs to only you. All the power, all the glory, all of time is in your hands. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Ancient of Days. And we ask you to, put, ask you to help us put our faith and hope and trust in you. And we ask it because of who you are, Jesus, and what you've done in your name. Amen. Um, let's have Brother Lucas come on up here. Bob, will you? Anybody got a pen? You know what I don't have is a pen. Bob's got a pen. We're going to have Mr. Lucas sign this paper. He's looked over these papers. He even brought a pen. Now you can see what I'm talking about here. And we do practice covenant membership here. And what Lucas is signing there is a covenant explaining the role of the church in his life and the role of his life within the church and how we um, cooperate and live together for gospel glory, for his good, for the church's good, and ultimately for the glory of God. So as he signed these papers, again, it's a paper, it's some ink on a paper, but it's his commitment to us and our commitment to him to be faithful uh, as we live this life together. And it is sharing life together that we're talking about here. So let's pray for Lucas, and then we'll have a benediction. And then if you can, stay around and hear the presentation afterward. That would be great too. So. Father, we thank you so much that your plan for us and for your glory involves life together. God, we thank you for Lucas and his commitment to you first and foremost, his commitment to us as a church and our commitment to him as an individual member of that church. God, we pray that there would be years and years of fruitful ministry in his life and that we would help equip him to be about that faithful gospel ministry to the ends of the earth until the end of time with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for him and ask your blessing upon us and upon him as we begin this adventure and this journey together. We thank you for him and ask your blessing upon him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now would you stand and receive a benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And He's able to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior.
Through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Stay with us if you can. We're going to get things hooked up for presentations and such. And if you can't, no problem. Love you. And if you're going to hang out for a little bit, it's cold out there, but we're going to love you better out there as we get things set up. So there's that.